You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. This time, once again, for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. And I'm your host, Casey Corbin. Thank you for joining us on the show today. But before we can get to today's fantastic show, you know where you got to go. You got to go get on the internet, because that's a good place to place your bets. On Talking Wrestling is the show to go. Hey, go on to the internet and go to... Uh, Facebook. Follow us on the Facebook. We are Talking Wrestling uh, on the Facebook. That's the Talking Wrestling page. Uh, send us a Gmail at Talking Wrestling at Gmail. Uh, if you want to send us a question for an upcoming Q and A show, please send us an upcoming question to uh, uh, regarding anything regarding wrestling. Uh, send that to the uh, podcast Gmail account at uh, Talking Wrestling at Gmail dot com. Uh, also. Uh, hit us up on the Twitter at TNWPod. And on Instagram, you can find us at Talking Wrestling at Instagram. No, Talking talking Wrestling Podcast at Instagram.com. Uh, remember, you can also find us on the Spotify. So listen to us there. Stream us there. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Uh, you know, do all the stuff that you need to do. And, um, and that is pretty much it. Uh, if you are on iTunes... Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you give us a five-star rating and a favorable review, we will send you a wrestling postcard from the 80s of a wrestler of your choosing if we still have it in stock. And also, if you send me a question for the Q&A show, we'll also read your question on air. But, okay, if your question makes it to the air, if it's a good enough question to make it to the air, then... We will send you a postcard of your favorite wrestler from the 80s, specifically 1984. So think Mid-South wrestlers, some WWE wrestlers. This wasn't a WWE licensed book, so think Mid-South. Who wants Captain Lou Albano? Where can we get Captain Lou Albano a home? Send us a question about Captain Lou Albano, and we will send you a postcard of Captain Lou Albano. With that said, folks, um, how are you? How are you enjoying wrestling? Have you been recovering from the WrestleMania weekend? Are you ready for this week's shenanigans of what's going on this week? We got a great guest for you right now. Uh, this, and this is very interesting. And uh, this guy has a story. And it's a wrestling story. And it's very, very interesting because I never knew that any of these call numbers or these hotlines existed because uh, I lived in Ottawa and I wasn't privy to the the perks that the greater Toronto area has, such as hotlines through the Yellow Pages. Uh, Dave Curran is on the show, and he's a hypnotist, he's a magician, he's a performer, and uh, he used to have a wrestling hotline, and he's a booker, and uh, he will be booking uh, Dolph Ziggler uh, in SummerSlam weekend at the Rec Center. We'll be talking about that show 
who I'm also a part of. We'll be talking about that show in this episode. Uh, so right now, buckle in, get ready. Let's go to studio where Casey Corbin is in studio with Dave Curran. Take it away, Casey. Hit it. Folks, with me at this time in studio, I have a hypnotist, a magician, and all-around amazing performer, Dave Curran, with me. Uh, Dave Curran, how are you today? How are you doing? I'm uh, good, man. This is awesome. Thanks for having me on today. This is cool. Oh yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Now, um, now this is we 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 don't really know each other. We're getting to know each other. This is the first time we've actually uh, spoken, aside from on uh, Facebook. But um, That's right, yeah. I'll just explain to the people how uh, we met. Um, you put a, a an article up on the, or uh, uh, I guess like a question up on the Toronto Comedy uh, Stand Up Forum on Facebook. I think That's it right, was, yeah. and you were right. and you said uh, you were looking for a performer um, that could perform that w- that was going to perform SummerSlam weekend. Uh, along with a wrestler, like do someone who is going to open up for him. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I was trying to be a little bit vague as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it was and it was vague, and it's funny because like, um, yeah. So so, anyways, uh, a list of names went out. Like everybody, there's so many wrestling fans that are comedians. It's crazy. Um, so the list was long and heavy, and then uh, it was very nice because other people were saying me, uh, which I didn't expect. I just thought. You know, I have a wrestling podcast, and I've worked with. A oh lot yeah, of, man. And I've worked with a uh, lot of wrestlers. So uh, at least ten people suggested you, and people are saying, "If it's not Casey Corbin, you're an idiot." Like this is the guy. So, yeah. You know, like, so I'm like, okay, I'm, you're the first person I reached out to, and the only person I reached out to. I oh, and thank you. And it was so funny. So people would start coming up to me uh, in the comedy community, and they'd be like, um, "So did you get that gig?" And I said, what gig? (laughs) (laughs) And they'd be like, that wrestling gig. And I was like, I'm not supposed to talk about it. (laughs) And then they'd say, what? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, and then they're, uh, they're like, oh, and they're like, you got it. I'm like, I'm, I said, I don't know. I don't know. So, um, it's it's funny, you know, wrestling fans are so passionate. I didn't realize there was that much uh, of a demand of people wanting to, to work on that show. Which is kind of cool, you know. It's just kind of inspiring me for other ideas now too. Oh yeah, and and the thing is, is most of them, well, will hopefully will come out to the show as well. Um, I know several people said they're gonna go. You know, like the only like the drawback might be, like, or is it is the show gonna happen while takeovers happening on SummerSlam weekend, no. or is it gonna be after? So let me talk about that. So at first, I don't, I don't, I don't think we even talked about the show. First of all, it's a Dolph Ziggler comedy show. So uh, Dolph Ziggler is somewhat under contract with WWE right now, but um, anyway, he he's doing comedy shows. His, his one of his passions is to stand up comedy, so he's doing this comedy show where he does a, a roast with his friend and um, Sarah. Sarah Tiana, who they worked with on uh, the Comedy Network, uh, doing some roast battles. So he's taking it on a tour. It's also a question and answer thing with ask and see at the end when people can ask ask questions. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it, it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun, and uh, that's what he's doing. And now I've rambled on so much, I forgot what your original question was. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, so it was so we were just started talking about how how um, we met and how the uh, the Facebook group brought us together, and yeah, uh, and then that I would uh, you know host or do the guest spot on the show, um, and and and, if, and then all the comics were like, you know, asking me who it was, who it was. 
and I already, I already knew you before you told me. I knew who it was because I follow him on Instagram, and uh, and uh, he had that date already. Like that, he had a big gap in his dates, but that was the last date on his uh, on the DZ tour, comedy tour. That's that's right. And I now remember your question about the timing of it. So originally, we had scheduled it for seven o'clock, and we were going to go up against NXT, but then we figured, you know what, let's do the late night show. So we changed the time because people really blew up on, on Instagram and social media saying, hey, man, you know, I want to go to NXT, but I want to see the show, too. So we, we changed the time where the doors open at 1030 and the show will start shortly after NXT ends. So whatever time that may be, whether it's 1115 or 1130, that's when we're going to start the show. But we're going to give people plenty of time to get from NXT across the street at Scotiabank Arena to the rec room which is only literally about a 10 minute walk just down the street. So yeah. It's a pretty it, cool. Venue not, too. not far at all. A perfect location. Um, and yeah, also great. if you're not an NXT, it's also a great place to go before the show and, uh, and just have fun. Yeah. And you know, now make a good time to announce. I can't give you all the details. So it's not contacted yet, but there's some other shows that we're planning, uh, prior to NXT. And uh, another little show during NXT. So if you don't get tickets for NXT, um, you can come and watch a show that's taking place during NXT. And there's also going to be a pre-show as well. So you can come down to the rec room. You can watch a show, have dinner, and then the show ends. And then you can take off and go to rec or go to NXT right afterwards. So lots of options. But the plan is to have a, a full day of programming um, at, at the rec room on the Saturday of SummerSlam weekend. Oh, that's that's a brilliant, that's a fantastic idea. Because they haven't even yeah. announced uh, any access plans or anything like that for SummerSlam. Uh, I would imagine that they're they're doing some sort of access, but they haven't announced anything yet. So, well, yeah, they definitely are doing access um, from people I spoke to. Since they haven't uh, announced exactly where it is, although we have a pretty good idea and and the timing based on uh, history, right? But yeah, access is one hundred percent a go for Toronto. Yeah, it would be good if they could keep it downtown. Hopefully, they'll keep it right, right in the convention center. Maybe, uh, you know, yeah. across from the rec room by the aquarium. Uh, but who knows? Who yeah. knows? Um, so that's great. So tell me, uh, let me know a little bit about yourself. Like when, did, when did you get into wrestling, and uh, what got you into wrestling? Well, it's been a long time. I was, uh, I was a long time wrestling fan. Always a, a big time fan. Watching. Up in the, the 80s, watching Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man and all those kind of guys. So I was big time into it. Um, and then when I got older, uh, 17, 18, 19, I started working in radio. I was Ooh. doing an afternoon drive show in a small market, having a lot of fun. And um, press releases started coming across my desk uh, of wrestlers coming to town for interviews for WWE and WCW shows. So I started doing interviews with wrestlers and uh, got to, to know them a little bit. And then at the time, there was something called the Talking Yellow Pages in Toronto and uh, all of Southern Ontario. And pretty much, you know, you get a Yellow Pages that we deliver to your house. And the first 20 pages would be uh, a directory of information lines you'd call into. So they had baseball, they had hockey, they had horoscopes, they had all kinds of stuff. And they didn't have wrestling. So I reached out, found out who was in charge of all that. And uh, I called him and said, hey, I want to do a wrestling line. And he said, sure, let's give it a shot. And I did it. And uh, through the contacts I was making, I had all kinds of inside information. And it was totally free. So what would happen is you'd call uh, the Talking Yellow Pages, 
Okay. Uh, the main number, which is 416-292-1010. still have that number committed to memory. And then you put in the, the five-digit code you want to get to whatever topic. And mine was a wrestling line. So I did um, sort of off as a weekly update, giving all kinds of insider tips and rumors and pretty much everything that the, you can find online right now. Yeah. And uh, it grew to two times a week to three times a week. And it was pretty popular. And I had lots of really cool stuff. And that uh, led me to promoting live events uh, with the WWE. We were doing pay-per-views and we we're having wrestlers come down and do stuff. So I met a lot of people and had a, a lot of contacts and had a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, and that was a good seven, eight years of my life uh, back in the day. That's crazy. So that would have been, like, the I'm guessing sort of like uh, 96 or 95 to about 2000 maybe? Yeah, somewhere around there because uh, that, was, that was during the Attitude Era. And that was a time where wrestling was super hot. And it was so hot. You know, the equivalent of ratings I would get. And we were getting up to 600,000 people calling into the line on a weekly basis. Oh, my Lord. And That's insane. I know. And, and it, it, it's a, I just look back and imagine if I had just stuck with it somehow. You know, the talking yellow pages went belly up. But if I had stuck with it somehow, it could parlay it into a podcast and a radio show. Now, it could have been pretty big, right? Yeah. Uh, all those base listeners. But uh, unfortunately, it just uh, it, it didn't last uh, the, the sands of time to continue on. <laughs> Now, now, who uh, who did you interview over over those years? Like, who were some of your favorite guests that you've had on or that you got to interview? So, some of them loved me, some of them hated me. So I did total shoot interviews, which was kind of not being done back at the time. You know, they're they're calling in expecting to do interviews in character and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't want to do that. So yeah, we did all straight shooting interviews, and, and some of them were amazing. You know, um, I started working with AWF and Ron Hutchison, and through that, uh, you know, we did Edge and Christian and Trish Stratus and Edge, and then um, through the WWE, uh, we had uh, all kinds of guys. We had uh, I had Chris Jericho the the day after he made his debut on Raw, and we had The Godfather, and had countless. We're talking dozens and dozens. And then uh, WCW heard about it, and they started calling me, saying, "Hey, can you uh, put this guy on your show? And this guy on your show?" And then some indie guys. Uh, it was quite cool. So I ended up doing two updates a week and then one interview a week. And sometimes interviews were uh, so long and extensive that I break it up into two or three parts. Um, the best interview I had, and not in a good way, and this is no joke, it was Buff Bagwell. So, um, really? All the rumors you hear about Buff Bagwell and Judy Bagwell is completely legit. And I have no fear talking about this on the record. Um, so he, he called into the show and, um, he, he started doing this whole character thing. And I, I kind of brought him out of the character and we're starting to ask the questions. And he put me on hold and said, Hey, can you just hold on a second? And about 30 seconds later, his mom came on the line and said, Sorry, but Buff isn't feeling too good anymore. He, he can't continue the interview. Like he literally got his mom to, to step up to the plate and say, Pretty much he doesn't want to do the interview anymore. And I had this whole thing on tape. It's freaking hilarious. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, my God. Cause, yeah, because the legendary story where his mom called JR and said he's not feeling well and he can't go yeah. to work. Like, that is so crazy. Yeah, and this happened around the same time. So it, it's not a work. It's, it's totally legit. So he's totally uh, relying on his mom to uh, 
clean up all his, his dirty business. That is so sad. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> now, do you, do you, do you like what happened to all these interviews? Do you have them on file, or do you have them anywhere today? Or I have a few of them here and there. Um, the problem is, is, you know, it wasn't in the days of MP3 and stuff like that. So how I did it, um, you know, the wrestlers would call me, and then I would call into the Talking Yellow pages on the back end and put in my phone and stuff like that, and I would do a three-way voice recording, and it would get recorded straight onto the Talking Yellow pages system. So, you know, I never thought that the Talking Yellow pages would ever end. Um, and it was always there to archive and go back and listen to it. Yeah. And then one day everything was just wiped out. It was gone. So the only ones that I got were ones that I put a, a tape recorder up to the phone and recorded myself. Wow. So there's not too many of them, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, also, too, what's kind of cool, I have some really cool footage, too. Uh, the, the, the hotline was so popular that a television production company reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to do this in a TV format? And we filmed three or four episodes. We had some really killer shoot interviews, and it was supposed to be aired on CHCH Channel 11, but there was all kinds of politics went on behind the scene, and that's a time for a different story, different time, but uh, it never made it to air. I still have all those video tapes, uh, cool shoot interviews with Jeff Jarrett and Sam Puro and um, Hillbilly Jim, Paul Heyman, all kinds of cool stuff. That is so, like, this is, so in- this is such an incredible story. Um, like, you were... Like you were, you were. It's sort of like, if I, to put it in wrestling terms, uh, superstar Billy Graham was. You know, they said he was twenty years too early. You know, to to what he should have been because Hulk Hogan was just superstar Billy Graham, and uh, had he had superstar Billy Graham been in there in the eighties, that he would have been the guy probably. But this is like you were podcasting and YouTubing before, before they were even things. You know? Yeah, you know, I, I feel that, and I, I feel my timing was off. And you know, um, uh, another little story how I kind of got out of this. You know, my dream was always to be uh, a commentator or a backstage interviewer for the WWF. And yeah, WWE. So I had all this material, I had all these interviews, I had all these video interviews I had some stuff I was doing with the AWF and Ron Hutchison. I had a whole library to build this awesome demo tape and the contacts to pick up a phone and ask somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So after probably about a year of making contacts and building a nice little demo tape, I finally sent something to Jim Ross, who was in charge of all that, and he got back to me relatively quick and said, hey, we've got your tape, you like it, can you come down for an interpersonal interview in about a month or so? So I'm, I'm flying high as a kite for this, and you know, this is great. So I get down there, um, meet up with Jim Ross, um, walk into the office, sit down, I'm waiting, and about 20 minutes later, he walks in, Stand up to shake his hand, and his face just like goes pale white. He's like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry. We we, we can't even go any further." And the problem was, is I'm six foot five. Yeah, and they can't they can't have a six foot five interviewer or commentator anywhere. You know, wrestlers who aren't that tall. He said, "You're going to make our guys look so short and tiny. We we can't work with you." Oh no, so that's that ended horrible. My uh, wrestling dream. So now, around the same time, the talking yellow pages ended. And uh, the WWE sort of went to crap, and I kind of just got out of it and never really went back to it until probably a little bit uh, recently doing these other shows. So now, um, so yeah, so 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 you so you were still watching wrestling, obviously, while you were doing all this, and then yeah. um, and then you took a break from wrestling. 
Yeah, I, I don't remember. I guess I was just saying I put on taking a break, but it just kind of, you know, we grew apart. We had, we had distance in our relationship. Oh, yeah. Um, I used to do... I used to do the wrestling rap um, live party every Monday at this cool little sports bar called Applebee's in Scarborough. And they had all kinds of satellites and major big screen TV. So we had Raw on one screen. We had Nitro on another screen. And then we had ECW that was taped from Saturday playing on another screen. So we had like hundreds of people come watch all these things. So I used to watch all the shows all the time. And ironically, Applebee's kind of went out of business not too long after all this. So everything happened to me at once. I got rejected by Jim Ross. Bobby Hill pages uh, closed down. Applebee's went belly up. And I started losing interest in, in the WWE. So it all just kind of just faded out around that time. It all happened together. Yeah, that, w- that would be insane. Because uh, in, in Canada, it wasn't easy to get uh, Nitro or Raw. Like, Raw was on TBS. And then sometimes, I'm um, not TBS, on TSN. And then they started carrying yeah. Nitro on their air and Nitro later in the week. On TSN, yeah. um, unless you had an illegal cable box, which luckily for me, my family always had one. Um, so you know, I could, I was actually a flipper. I would flip back and forth from Nitro to Raw and back right, and back right. and forth. Um, but to actually like have places to go where you could watch both on both screens, that to me, like, oh my, like that to me is just mind blowing. Like, oh, you man. know, it, it was it was a blast. Like. You know, we split. We used to switch the volume back and forth between all the shows, depending on what was going on. And uh, during commercial breaks, uh, WCW and WWE kept giving me all kinds of swag. Yeah. So we used to do wrestling trivia and give away prizes, t-shirts, and keychains. And I remember, like, it, it was so busy. The busiest night we ever had was Chris Jericho's debut on Raw, and the place held about 500 people, and it was packed, and there was a lineup of another 100 people to get in. That's because that episode wasn't showing live on TSN that night. So everyone wanted to come watch the show live, and the place was insane. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, well, I remember, I, I remember, it's so funny. It's like when Chris Jericho debuted on Raw, I was like, <laughs> I remember exactly <laughs> where I was. I was on my first uh, Western tour in Canada, uh, Western Canada. I was in Calgary. So I was very, just, I was just excited. Like, I'm from a small town in the Ottawa Valley. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that don't make it out of my town and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, and I wanted to be this comedian. So, um, you know, the, in 99, I booked my first tour and it was like, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was, it was my first air, like my first flight, uh, my first this, I was just ecstatic. And I was just so excited to go to Calgary because it's Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I'm a wrestling nerd. So, right, yeah. you know, I'm just excited. I'm like, oh, this is this is heart country. You know, this is a, this is a stampede country. I'm so excited. And uh, and then I was in a hotel in Calgary when uh, when Jericho uh, came out. And, oh, I was so I, – I just remember being very excited and ecstatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, you know, that first segment was so fantastic. And luckily for me, by the end of that tour – uh, my last night in town, Stampede was doing a card, and um, at the Royal Palace downtown in Calgary, and it was a nightclub, and this might have been their first Stampede card in a long time, and uh, anyways, long story short, um, I had to go catch a flight, so I couldn't stay for the whole card, but I had my luggage with me and everything because I was going there, and then I was going straight to the airport, 
But uh, I got to meet um, Diana Hart-Smith that night. I got to meet yeah. Davey Boy Smith that night. And then I got to meet uh, Bruce and Ross uh, Hart as right. well. It, it was just, and uh, I don't know, it was, you know, it was like that tour was very special to me. And <laughs> it's all because of wrestling and very little because of comedy. Uh, yeah. You know, but it, what a time. It's very surreal meeting your idols like that, isn't it? And, uh, you know, and, and getting to chat with them and stuff. Um, at one point, uh, when things were at its peak, I was getting backstage passes to some WWE events, but all the WCW events. Uh, the guy, the promoter in Toronto, was really good with that kind of stuff. So I got to go backstage at, at the Nitros, at the pay-per-views, at the Canada Center, all that kind of stuff. And it was awesome. And I, I met so many of the boys, and it was so surreal for me to you know be a fan first and foremost yeah to watch these guys on tv and then to be backstage in the locker room area and seeing how everything goes on backstage and and share with them and hanging out is really cool and, and you know i must i can imagine how you must have felt meeting all those guys to stampede and having a good time with that oh i was so so nervous too because this was also <laughs> 99 like oh and it just died earlier that year and I was right, very, yeah. I was very emotional when I, like you know, when I started seeing the Hart family, I started, like you know, and and Davy Boy, I was like almost in tears, which I think why that's why Diana Hart was she was so nice and kind to me, um, right? You know, probably because here's this emotional wreck of a wrestling fan <laughs> who is, uh, who is, you know, is uh, traveling and. You know, but whatever. It was it was a you know a great moment. I got a great picture out of it. Uh, I've met Harry Smith since, and I've showed him the picture. I was like, hey, "This is me with your mom and dad." And he was like, "Oh, I was. I remember that night. You know, I was in the ring, not in the ring, but in the, you know, in the venue. I was, you know. So, uh, but that's just it's just incredible. It's just incredible. So yeah, um, yeah. So." Now, uh, did you ever get to interview Hogan or Savage or any of the super big names? Uh, no, I never got a chance to interview Hogan or Savage, although I did meet Hogan and spend some time with him um, one time backstage at, at an event, and that was really cool and, you know, super nice guy. You know, I, I was a nobody to him. Yeah. But he, he, he spent time chatting with me and, and humoring me and answering all my questions and I'm trying to be respectful of the privacy backstage, but um, you know, I figured it's my one shot, so I went up and chatted with him, and it was really cool. I'm trying to think of the biggest legend that I had a chance to interview. Um, uh, I did get a chance to chat with Warrior. Uh, it was a quick two-minute interview, um, but it wasn't very much of a shoot interview because he yeah. didn't do that kind of stuff. Um, Undertaker, but I'm trying to think of the legends from back in the '80s. Um, you know, guys like Hillbilly Jim or George Animal Steel. That was that was a big one for me. I would, you know, I grew up watching George Animal Steel and one of my favorites, and getting to interview him and uh, talking to him out of character yeah. was really interesting. And the guy, you know, despite what you see on TV and the character he portrays, he was really, really smart and really articulate. And I, I believe he was a university professor or mm -hmm. a college professor at some point. The guy was super smart, and it was so surprising to hear him talk like this and, and have this massive vocabulary after him playing this primate on, on television, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. <It's laughs> I a, got a chance to interview The Rock, so I guess that's a modern legend. That was kind of cool. 
didn't know at the time. He was just uh, Rocky Maivia, a kid at the time. But, uh, you know, I can say I was there when. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because, like, that that famous um, picture of him with the fanny pack and the turtleneck with the necklace on the outside – that's yeah. it, that's from that's the from, Toronto Sun. Uh, yeah, it's the a, exactly yeah. like it's a Toronto Sunshine boy. Like it's uh, to me, I think about you know uh, how much when when the Rocky Maivia, how much uh, early day press they did around Toronto when they'd hit Toronto and they'd hit you know um, they used to do so many crazy promotions. Uh, my old roommate used to work at this bar downtown called the Lone Star down on Front Street. And it was right across from uh, I uh, from the uh, the Sky Dome, and yeah. I guess uh, SummerSlam. Maybe it was SummerSlam. Maybe it was WrestleMania. Anyways, they had a promotion where Lita went and bartended at the Lone Star for like an hour. So my yeah. roommate got to bartend with Lita, and uh, you know, I'm like, that. Imagine you're just going into work that night. Like he's not even a wrestling fan, so he didn't even appreciate yeah. it. He just, uh, yep. yeah, some girl, Lita, I had to bartend with her, huh, always in my way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, back in, the, in those days, um, the WWE was doing all kinds of stuff in, in Canada, especially Southern Ontario, like you said. And the main reason for that was uh, they had the Canadian office, Carl DeMarville. Yes. So how it worked is anybody that was a, a sponsor or an advertiser, like I guess a Lone Star, was either paying for the pay-per-view rights and showing it on Sundays or... They were having some sort of advertisement, and they always had first bid to get these uh, wrestlers come to their venue. I remember um, Kane and the X-Pac on a blockbuster. Uh, they had Jason Sensation at the Toys R Us. Um, they had Edge and Christian at the Sears. Like, they're all over the place. You don't, they don't do that nowadays anymore. But back then, they were everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't. Like, you know, they might have, yeah, they might, I don't know. I don't think they do do stuff like that. Maybe during WrestleMania week. Like, I know there was one week where my friends went to, um, my friends go to WrestleMania every year. And so, I guess it was maybe a couple of years ago, they met Titus O'Neil at a Toys R Us. You know, so okay. so I know they still have Toys R Us, uh, I think, um, or they used to have, like, you know, a legend show up there or whatever. But I don't think it happens as much in Toronto as, as, it, as it used to. Because no. uh, I don't, I don't hear of it. What happens now is, you know, wrestlers usually come in on these tours, and yeah. uh, and they and they're doing um, comedy clubs and they're doing spoken word performances, where and then right. insecure comics get upset because they're like, now wrestlers are taking our stage time, and it's like, get it, it's a Monday night, you know, it's like yeah. they're on off <laughs> nights, they're not competing with you, you don't even know, like, just shut up. You know, so now, uh, it's great, though. I love, I love that. You, Sorry, go ahead. Now, you, now you mentioned that, and maybe you would know. Is there any other WWE superstars who are current roster guys like Dolph Ziggler who are doing these kind of shows? Because most of the shows I've heard have been legends, like um, no, you know, Mick Foley and Ted DiBiase and guys like that. No, the only guys that were doing anything like that, like. Dolph Ziggler is still under contract, as far as I know, as well. But he's always been doing this; like he's always been working at the comedy on his nights off. Um, yeah, it's been like this for oh jeepers! At least he must have been doing comedy at least the last six, seven years now. Like, uh, right. you know, much like Jericho is a rock star. 
You know, he, you know, when Jericho's time was off, he has his band. And uh, right up until recently, he was, you know, now WWE has parted ways with him. They banned him from WrestleMania and uh, they will not allow any of their people on his podcast anymore because he's now with the rival. So, um, but, but, but that's, uh, that's, you know, but. I think I think Jericho and Dolph are, are very similar in that matter where is you know their wrestling careers are winding down or you know they've had long careers and yeah. I think you know this is the they still like the audience interaction and they're both like you know uh Jericho wanted to be a rock star and a wrestler so it's you know funny. Dolph said something to me a few weeks ago it really stuck with the offline he said that he is a stand-up comic first and foremost, and wrestling just pays his bills. <laughs> well, he used to have that on his Twitter handle, and uh, oh, yeah? and I think wrestling fans got upset <laughs> oh, yeah. because I'm a yeah I'm a stand-up comedian, but wrestling pays the bills. Uh, I was like, I wish I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could say I'm a wrestler, but stand-up comedy pays my bills. But yeah, exactly, I, I, I can't switch roles. Yeah, no. but he's but I know I know he's uh, he's been doing comedy for a long time, and uh, you know I guess now he's uh, he's finally got the time to headline shows and stuff like that because recently he started headline shows because usually uh, him and Sarah tour together but Sarah will anchor and headline the shows because she's a bona fide headliner. Um, right. As it takes a, as you know as a performer. It takes a long time to become a headliner, um, yeah. You know, and um, so I'm curious to see what Dolph's like comedy-wise, because really the only other guy that's truly trying, like a lot of these guys come out and they just tell their stories and they're actually funny, but only okay. only Mick Foley and Dolph that I know of want to be actual comedians. Like, like Mick Foley wishes he could. Um, and we've talked about this. He said, you know, he's like, I wish I could do more comedy, but the fans want the my market, my fans, they want more wrestling stories, you know. Wow. But the fact is, is he tells his wrestling stories very, he's very animated and he's very good at telling his stories. So I, I think Dolph, Dolph's plan is he kills two birds with one stone because the first half of the show is stand up. And I'm assuming it's not based on wrestling. I'm sure there's some lying in there. Yeah, so it's pretty much just pure stand-up. But the second half of the show is a and A, ask the heel, where um, we're going to distribute little pieces of paper to the audience, and then we're going to screen them and look at them and, and pick the coolest, most unique questions, and he's going to answer them on stage. So I guess that's how he has his uh, joy of doing comedy, and then uh, well, that's you know, a, that's a getting, great format. Getting the wrestling fix into the hardcores, right? Yeah, and not only that, the roast battle essentially is wrestling. Like yeah. roast battles are are so you know nobody actually hates each other. You're roasting. You're usually roasting somebody that you respect and that you're in love. That you guys are friends, and right. uh, and there's love in roasting. There is not. It's you know. But um, I know uh, Sarah. She has you know she's competed in the actual roast battles on Comedy Central. Jeffrey Ross's roast battles, and she's done very well in them. And um, oh, yeah, she's hilarious. Yeah, and she's and she's hilarious. So I'm excited. I'm excited for the show, and uh, 
I'm excited to see how the roast battle goes, and I'm excited to see the material. And uh, and the WrestleManiacs are fantastic as well. Uh, I was just about to say that. I've never seen them perform, perform live, but, um, you know, they're in the auto area somehow reached my newsfeed on Facebook. So I'm kind of watching all their YouTube videos. Yeah. It's fantastic, you know. Let's not even talk about their musical talent, just their charisma and the way they dress up. And it's, it's a full package. So I reached out to them as soon as I signed on with, uh, with Dolph. I said, look, I don't know how I'm going to use you. I don't know what way I'm going to use you, what show I'm going to use you for. There's going to be some other shows, but I want you there one way or the other. I said, yeah, no problem. Like, I just wanted to have it. I think it's going to be a really cool experience. Yeah. So right now the plan for them is to uh, be playing as you're entering kind of thing. So the, the doors open at 10.30, and the show starts around you know, 11 to 11.30. They're going to be playing as you're arriving. They're going to play Dolph Ziggler on and probably do it a little bit afterwards as well. But also, too, I really, I'll tell you after we get off, if I can, that's a public that we've got this really other cool show and uh, with another superstar. And I, I think the WrestleMania is going to be a, a big focus on that show, too. So uh, it's going to be a fun day, a cool event. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And, you know, and, yeah. and I've seen the WrestleManiacs. I uh, was at a show, um, Chin, uh, uh, Chinlock Wrestling, I believe it was three. It's a charity wrestling show in Kingston and uh, put on by Jan Murphy. And uh, the WrestleManiacs were there a few years ago, and they were fantastic. You're like, is that The Undertaker on keyboards? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're all dressed up. You know, I think they have both Hulk Hogan's. You know, on some nights, and Macho Man singing, and Bret Hart's playing bass, and you know, yeah. it's uh, it's fantastic, and they're and they're and they're, and they're great. So uh, their music know. is bang on. Like, so for those who don't know, they play all the wrestling intro themes for all the wrestlers from the legends back in the '80s to the current day ones, and they can play any song. Yeah, they have them all. It's it's crazy. Their lead singer is fantastic on vocals and. You really know everything. It's quite the experience. Looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, whether whether you're a fan of the um, of the uh, Jim Johnson era of WWE music or a fan <laughs> of the Jimmy Hart era of music, you know, uh, right. you get you get it all. You get the you know, uh, you get the Rick Derringer, Hulk Hogan, Real American song, and you can get the NWO theme as well. You know, it's uh, yeah. You really they're really they're really talented and uh, and they're really funny as well. So. Uh, it's going to be an exciting show, um, the Dolph Ziggler uh, show at the rec room, and uh, that is SummerSlam weekend, of course, as we're talking about. And of course, you. And of course, me. Yes, and I will be there, uh, opening the show off with uh, some comedy and uh, you know, and some stories, and uh, and and it'll be it'll be great. It'll be great. Um, now, is your, is your comedy doing uh, wrestling bits, or are you just going to be doing everything? What's your plan? Well, well, it all depends. Like um, sometimes I do uh, some wrestling bits, um, you know, but uh, sometimes I just stick to straight comedy, or maybe I'll do a couple wrestling bits, you know. Like I have certain wrestling stories, like uh, that are just ridiculous. Like one time, uh, I probably won't do this, but I'm going to tell it now. But like one, like my roommate used to have two chihuahuas, and one of the chihuahuas she named Macho Man. So obviously the other chihuahua would be Elizabeth. No, it's Shorty. Anyways, um, so, so she has the Macho Man Chihuahua, and one time I'm dog sitting, and uh, Chihuahuas are very small; they can fit through any hole in any fence, pretty much. So the Chihuahua got out of the yard, 
and uh, or so I thought, and I could not find it. So I had to run through the neighborhood looking for the dog. Of course, the dog's name is Macho Man, so I'm running through the neighborhood yelling, Macho Man, where are you? Macho Man, come back. Macho Man, where did you go? And as I passed a guy smoking a joint on his patio, he said, dude, that wrestler's been dead for years. So, yeah, that's a true story, and uh, that's the type of story that I would tell in 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 the thing um here's an interesting story so this involving Dolph um I worked with Amy Schumer two years ago and yes and uh now I know that Amy and Dolph have dated because Amy's talked about it on talk shows and uh so anyways we're in the back we're in the back out uh, in between shows and we're just hanging out chatting and uh my buddy brings up that I have a wrestling podcast and she goes, Oh, I used to date a wrestler. And I was like, yeah, we, we know. And she's like, what do you mean? We know. I'm like, we as in every wrestling fan knows, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and she, and I said, but I have a question that I'd like to ask involving, uh, your, your ex-boyfriend. And she's like, what's that? And I was like, well, cause like, you know, the biggest knock is for Dolph fans is that, he doesn't get the actual chance to be the John Cena when he should be, you know. Uh, John Cena gets everything at that time. So I said, the role in Trainwreck, the John Cena role, is that based on your relationship with Dolph Ziggler? Because if it is, I said, if it is, (laughs) it's really sad that Dolph Ziggler doesn't even get to be Dolph Ziggler because everything's got to go to John Cena. And... (laughs) And she said, uh, "She said, no, it's not. It's pure coincidence that, you know, I, that John Cena was cast as the big muscle guy. She's like, it wasn't based on Dolph Ziggler. And she says, as a matter of fact, John Cena uh, brought a lot to the role where he added in a lot of his own little jokes that weren't in the scripts. And they, he was like the funniest person on the set that they thought would not be funny at all. Like, you know, because they had a lot of, wow. like LeBron was also in the movie and they... Had another other people that were not really known to be funny, but uh, yeah, John Cena was incredibly funny in Trainwreck. So I was glad I got to ask that. So the the role is nothing based on John uh, on Dolph Ziggler at all. It's just coincidence. But you know, uh, it's good to to hear that right from Amy herself because I've always wondered that. So, uh, but still, <laughs> great movie. Go Trainwreck. Go see that. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to the show. Yeah, I usually, in, sometimes on the longer shows, um, I'll tell, I have an Undertaker story where uh, it's, it's um, a lot of wrestling fans already know it. And uh, I enjoy telling it around wrestlers because they laugh because they know the Undertaker. Like, uh, first time I told it on stage, Ted DiBiase, I was opening for Ted DiBiase. And, uh, you know, this is the man that brought the undertaker into wrestling now. So I'm, as mm-hmm. I'm, as I'm telling the story, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye and he's laughing and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's basically in a nutshell. Um, I worked for a guy who owned a restaurant and he was a Texan and he told me at one time that he grew up with the undertaker and he said that their dads were best friends. And I told him that's impossible. Wow. I, yeah, and I said, well, that's impossible because everybody knows his dad died in a funeral parlor fire. Um, so he didn't understand. He didn't know anything about wrestling. 
So he didn't get that. He's like, his dad didn't die in a funeral fire or fire. And I was like, you know, okay, forget it. So then he said one time, he's like, if you're ever talking to the Undertaker, can you tell him I said hi? I'm like, yeah, next time I'm talking to the Undertaker. I had no podcast back then. I had no way to ever wow. even meet a wrestler. Uh, but then not what this was in this conversation was in September and come November two nights after the crew job I find myself backstage at the Monday Night Raw and the last wrestler to come out was the Undertaker so the Undertaker wow. and I are having this conversation actually my roommate my old uh, my old buddy he's still a good buddy he was uh, he's the biggest Undertaker mark there is and he was like okay. going nuts and he's like can I I want to ask you this. I want to ask you that. I just can't think of a question. Like we met Brian Lee earlier in the night and he was like, were you the fake undertaker? Were you, uh, at the, were you the best man at the undertaker's wedding? I'm like, where are you getting this information? He must've been calling you. Um, because there was no internet back then in 97. Like he, he was, and he had all the information. And so he, he's, uh, he's just sort of annoying the undertaker, he goes, can I take your luggage to to your to your tour bus? Because they all had rentals, except the Undertaker had a tour bus, and it was gorgeous. It was all like gray and purple and lightning. He was definitely the Undertaker's. So you, uh, so he takes the bag out across the the parking lot, and I'm standing there with the Undertaker by myself, and we're just by ourselves. And I, I look at, him, I was like, I was like, oh my god, I have something to say to this guy. So I just said to him, what a surreal moment, huh? Yeah. And I said to him, hey, Mr. Undertaker. And he looked at me and I said, yeah. Uh, I said, um, I work for this Texan by the name of Val. Val, And I said his last name, Val Belcher. And I said, uh, and he said that, uh, and he stopped me. He, he took his glasses off because he was in full, he had the duster on, his hair was soaked. He just got out of the shower and he had his glasses on. So he takes his glasses off and he looks at me. And in no Undertaker voice, he was like, Val Belcher from Houston, Texas? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, our daddies were best friends. We grew up together. And I was like, that's what he told me. But I told him that was impossible because we all know your daddy died in a funeral parlor fire. Undertaker didn't even <laughs> laugh, didn't sell it. He nothing. Nobody. That joke died twice, you know. And that's and when I tell that live, that's the funniest part of the story. People love that story. That I said the joke again and it didn't work again. So anyways, uh-huh. I said uh, we talked about my, our buddy. And he said, you do me a favor? He's like, what? He goes, you tell Val that uh, Mark Calloway says hello. And I was like, I will. And he goes, I'm Mark. And I'm like, I know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know who I'm talking to, you know. I, yeah, I know who the skyscrapers were. So, uh, so anyway, he uh, <laughs> what happens next is my buddy comes back. And as, as, as my buddy comes back, uh, a road agent and uh comes with this beautiful blonde girl and i've i understand what's going on here the blonde girl is going with the undertaker and they're going to hop up but the blonde girl's name did not match the name on his neck so you know he was gonna it's no secret the undertaker's had several marriages you know so it's no secret that athletes do this on the road and uh and there's a situation here where she's like mark let's go Mark, let's go. And my buddy's back now. Now he wants to ask a question. And he can't think of a question. And as she says, Mark, let's go, his question is, how are your wife and kids? Oh, come on. Seriously. 
That's what he this, says. This is, a, this is an unfriending moment. D- dude, <laughs> he, I, like, I, my mouth dropped. And uh, I looked at him like, what the fuck, dude? Read the situation. You know, oh, no. What happened was the Undertaker took his glasses off. He rolled his eyes into the back of his head. And he's like, you claim to know me. You talk to me like you know me. My friend dropped to his knees and started begging for forgiveness. And then the Undertaker just sort of walked out. I would say like Spike Lee walked out. He just sort of floated out into the fucking November fog and went off into the distance. And I never saw him ever again. But that's the story. Like, it's just the most insane story ever. Like, dude. Could you not read that situation? Did you not know that she? He's like, I didn't know. I didn't know. So that's like, you know, now I have that story is really punched up really well when I tell it. But, um, you know, it takes too much time. That's the only thing. It's a long story. But, uh, you know, but it's a great it's a great story. And I love telling it. So I was in uh, Montreal for that Survivor Series screen job. Now, I was doing the, the show. The, the wrestling rap so I, I was given comp tickets and they're right down by ringside mm. so I had a front row seat for everything that was going on and you know I consider myself an insider at the time and what I was saying was blowing me away like I, I didn't know what was going on I didn't know whether it was a work I didn't know whether it was a shirt I didn't know what something happened it was really really crazy now I knew Brett was leaving but I didn't know how that was going down like that so that kind of blew me away and uh, I wasn't given backstage access to that event. But then after the show, we went to this uh, bar, bar called Thursdays, mm-hmm. which was not too far. And uh, that's where all the rest of us would hang out. Straight up, we went there. So uh, Jimmy Andrew Neidhart and Davey Boy Smith. So I had a conversation with them about what's going on. I said, oh, no, man, we don't know what happened, how it's all playing out. So it was kind of cool. That was my uh, little part of history being eyewitness of that. Yeah, I I chose not to go to that Survivor Series because um, I had tickets to the Raws the next two nights in Ottawa and Cornwall, and my friend Glenn Kalka at the time, I'm not really friends with him anymore, but back then I knew him enough where he was going to introduce me to Brett on the Monday night after the show. So I was going to meet my favorite wrestler. We're going to see the next two Raws. I don't need to go to Survivor Series. I know Brett's going to retain because the rumors were already that he was going to forfeit the title in Ottawa. Right. You know, yeah, like, right. and so I, I knew I wasn't going to miss anything. And uh, I chose to go to a Buffalo Bills game, my first Buffalo it, Bills I game. I missed ever. the biggest advantage. My phone, when I got home, I, like, I had my VCR recorded the whole thing, anyways. But when I got home, you know, my phone message was blanking and. I had a chat, and there was all these messages like, I can't believe you missed this. I can't believe you chose not to go. Yeah. You know, and uh, one of my biggest regrets is not being there for that. But, you know, luckily I was there for WCW Mayhem when they gave him the title back in WCW, and that was uh, that was nice. So that was, that was cool, yeah. And I got a really cool piece of wrestling memorabilia as a result of the Survivor Slam. So remember the, the Wrestling with Shadows uh, documentary? Of course, the, yes. Uh, um, so in Toronto, they had a screening of that um, down at the Metro Convention Center in the John Bassett Theater, I believe it was. And uh, I was invited as press, but I was given this really nice ticket. It was like a, you know, about a four by six lanyard that you hang around your neck um, to go. And it was really nice, well done. I went to see the show, and the producer was in. I held up that lanyard. 
then uh, about a year later, I met Brett, and he actually autographed that for me, and which is pretty cool in itself. But then I knew I was going to be meeting Vince McMahon about five years later, and I brought that same manager with me. Yeah. But you know what? I said, I'm just going to ask him. I went up to Boldface and asked him, hey, Vince, can you autograph this for me? He looked at it. I laughed. I was like, sure, pal. He signed it, gave it back, slapped me on the back. Now I got a wrestling your shadows ticket autographed by Bret Hart and Vince McMahon in my possession. <laughs> that is the best thing ever. I was like, yeah. that, oh my God. Like, because I, if I was at the documentary, I would want to ask, what was the documentary going to be about if this didn't happen? Like, what were, you know, you know was it just going to be about you know, Brett? Well, we'll never know the truth, right? You know, Vince McMahon claims he can work anybody, his family, the hard, most hardcore fans, even the oldest legend. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense, some of the things that happened, and you hear all different stories from different points of view from different people. There's always those conspiracy theories and, and the doubts in the back of my mind, but you know, without that screw job, that documentary is crap. It was just supposed to document the last, you know, the last, the end of the past for Bret Hart in WWE, but there was no story to the documentary. It was just a flat story. But then you had the whole screw job, and then you have the climax and the finale and the resolution, and I'm walking off into the sunset at the end. And, that kind of stuff. So it makes me wonder: is it was it just coincidence? And there's a lot of down? there's a lot of coincidences, and Isaac, I I love conspiracies, and I don't think I like I think Brett got screwed. I don't think it's a work, not on Brett's part. Uh, I believe that you know it's it, he might be over it now, but I believe it bothered him for a long time. Um, but however, as a conspiracy I don't fan. Think it I really don't think it did. No, well, Julie Hart says that her, you know, they, you know, it was he was really depressed after it all happened. But but the thing is, is like, was he depressed after it happened, or was he depressed after everything else happened? Like, cause he was me, depressed after everything else happened. He was obviously about his brother and the way the whole thing was handled and situated. Um, you know, people really underestimate how smart Bret Hart is, especially back in those times. Well, he was. So far ahead of everyone else. Like, Agreed. The stuff you would come up with was just cutting edge. Yes, like because like you know my my roommate gets so upset when I say that screw job was a work, but I love to paint the pinch. I love conspiracies and like everything more that happens. Um, like the more things I find, the more things it feeds to the conspiracy. Like for example. Yeah. Um, okay, so so the documentary itself, like, you know, the fact that they were allowed to film everything and everything, and then Vince didn't really try, you know, or, or you, you watch wrestlers talk about it, and Kevin Nash has a great one. They're like, Vince didn't sell a, a t- double-torn quad in the ring and walk back to the He didn't sell that, but you're going to tell me one punch by that nobody saw by Bret Hart, and he's going to sell that walking out in the documentary? And he like, still had his mic on. And he still had his mic on. Like, there's so many things that you question within the documentary. And then there are things like, like, because everybody came out, like, okay, let's say, let's say Brett doesn't have his stroke and let's say Owen doesn't die. Brett comes right. back in three years and gets that match at WrestleMania and it's hot as hell. Absolutely. Like, look and at, that's why I, I, I honestly believe, like, at some times when I think about it, I'm like, who brought, who said 
bring in Stone Cold, bring in Steve Austin. Bret Hart did. Right. And they bring yeah. him in. And Bret Hart, I honestly believe, said, if I go, this is the guy I want to take my place. Stone Cold yeah. Steve Austin. And then they go and have that, man, that the double heel turn at Mania to put Austin over. Bret put Austin yeah. over. And Bret put Mr. McMahon over um, when when the whole screw job went down. Bret put everybody. Now, like, you, the other thing is, like, Bret's supposed to do a time honor tradition. He put everybody over on his way out. And he got right. over to woo. And it's just like, but but the thing is, is if he was supposed to come back in three years and have his match, because like when he came back seven years later, it didn't make sense to me why they're having the match. Right. I was like, why now, you have? I remember you. It was Brett that was wearing a mic, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, so why after the main events of pay per view, has this whole screw job, trashes the set, and gets on Vince's man, goes backstage, and then he thinks to himself, "Oh, I got to put this mic back on." Yeah, that make sense, but like no, and like I believe the idea was to make Brett look good, going off to WCW, so he would be good in yeah. WCW, and then because yeah. but then Vince was right; they did not know how to use him. But did you know yeah. in '92, Bret Hart went down uh, to Memphis, and even though he was a fan favorite everywhere else in Memphis, he was hated, much like oh, really? much like in '97. And not only wow. that, he not only went down alone, he went down with Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon was also in Memphis doing an anti-Jerry Lawler character. Like, they were all against Lawler. So McMahon was pretending to be the evil promoter that he is. And you see, this is the early beginnings of Mr. McMahon in Memphis in 92. And he's with Bret Hart. And, and Bret Hart was there too. So I'm just saying, like, the character of Mr. McMahon to come out and Bret Hart, like, it's too much of a coincidence that they were in Varen 92 where Bret Hart was being the anti-hero in one place but a hero everywhere else. That was tested yeah. in Memphis. And so was the Mr. McMahon character. And I was like, it's so funny that these were both tested in Memphis in 92 and then in 97 they finally come they to life. And yeah. then, you know, and then there are people thinking that what happened at the Hall of Fame was a work. You know, I've never seen that too. I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't think it is now, but when it first happened, I'm thinking this is Brett. Brett did this. This is a, it's a whole play on the and the guy, you know, the, hey. the the black guy who did the thing where he was getting himself attacked and all that kind of stuff and bring it back into the spotlight to get some attention on him, get him over. You know, I and that's for sure. Well, yeah, because know? they like because my attitude was like, okay, so if this was a conspiracy, if this was if a work. Only two people would know, Brett and Vince, and that's it. Yeah, and they wouldn't that's tell they anybody. No. They'd take it to no. the grave, and uh, right. and then and then you look at like, you know. So now here we are, WrestleMania weekend. Jolin Oliver comes out with a smear campaign towards the WWE. Uh, at the same time, um, Enzo and Cass is, they find out that they're going to raid Ring of Honor in New Japan in Madison Square Garden, which is already Vince is not happy with that because he let his guard down and they took advantage of it. So, yeah. you know, I was like, I said to my roommate when it happened, I'm like, what could possibly WWE do that could have nobody talking about John Oliver and nobody talking about Enzo and Cass and nobody talking about Ring of Honor or New Japan or Supercard, just everybody talking yeah. about WWE. And I was like, you know, I could see Vince going up to Brett be like, here's an idea, bud. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. he goes, you wanted that schmoz. Oh, absolutely. 
You wanted a schmoz at Survivor Series? How about this for a schmoz? He's like, can you still yeah. take? Because why? I'm like, why was it in the ring? Why was there I, no I security? Thought, you know, I, it's, I thought for sure that I was going to come out to a revival match for WrestleMania and clock somebody just to, uh, as a thank you to Dash Walker, right? Yeah. Well, who knows? But I'll tell you, I don't like. It's fun to make the conspiracy and talk about it, but in actuality, I don't. And I had to say this a couple weeks ago on the show. I do, I do believe it was not a work. I do believe Brett got screwed. I believe Brett. And, uh, you know. After all we just said, now you're flipping on me? Well, well, I just, I love conspiracies. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've built this conspiracy so much. Like, adding in this new end and this new, like, the, 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 if you go back, you can type in a YouTube, YouTube uh, McMemphis. Uh, wrestling because it's all from Memphis wrestling, but it's McMemphis because of McMahon. So you and you can watch it. It's like it's like a, it's so many episodes of the character of Vince McMahon and Bret Hart coming in and out, and it's just it's very interesting. So when you realize that you know, because like honestly, if the stroke didn't happen and everything, and he came back three years in time, it would have lo- it would have worked. It would have looked like a work from the get go, and maybe it would have yeah. been. We never would have known, but. Unfortunately, uh, the heart went. The heart family went through that, those tragic years, and uh, and everything changed. So, but with that yeah, said, we'll never know. It's something we'll never know the truth. We'll never know, and I'll never ask Brett either because I'll be too chicken shit to ask him. <laughs> oh, I would ask him, but he, he would work you. <laughs> yeah, he probably would. He probably would. even if I laid out all this evidence, like him, like. This is my book. This is my. Uh, this is everything I put together. What do you think? He'd be like, I think you. Yeah. I. I don't think you have a girlfriend. That's what he'd probably say. <laughs> yeah, he, he's so old school, man. And, you know, if it really wasn't work, like you said, he's gonna take it to his grave. You're not gonna tell anybody. No, it'll be uh, like yeah, exactly. It'll be you know, like Neil Armstrong or. Uh, don't forget, don't forget him and Brian Tillman are very close friends. With him. Brian Tillman was a master of working people, the workers, the boys, promoters even, right? Yes. Yeah. So, he, uh, yeah, he worked. Yeah, I, there's, Jim Ross has got some great stories about him working Vince and everything like that. And they're like, oh, boy. So, yeah. but uh, with that said, we've come to the end of an episode. Uh, Dave, thank. this has been great. Great talking wrestling with you. So Yeah, likewise, man. A lot of fun. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, we will do it again soon. Um, where can we find you? Where are you performing? Anything you want to plug before uh, the show ends? Go ahead. This is your time. Well, yeah, if you want to try something outside of wrestling, I, I'm a comedy stage. I do shows uh, every Saturday night. I got my own theater in Oak Hill at Dave Investors. You can come check it out. And then uh, most of the Fridays, I'm touring around the country doing websites and casinos and stuff. First, uh, visit my website for my schedule at davecurrentlive.com and uh, check it out. And we'll see you at the rec room. For Dolph Ziggler Comedy Tour and some other special shows on Saturday of SummerSlam weekend in Toronto. Awesome. And thank you for joining us and thank you for letting us put a headlock in your ears. Uh, Dave, thank you for coming on once again. And uh, you guys can hear us all next week here on Talking Wrestling. Talk to you later. Bye now. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.